Welcome. I'm glad to see you all back. I'm glad to be back with you. Um, I know this is that time of year. A lot of our folks are still on the road. A lot of our folks aren't back yet. And this is that time of year uh, where, like, we're, we're supposed to be full of energy right now, right? This is like we're supposed to be ready to take on the new year with a barbaric yelp. And uh, is that what Yelp? Is that what it was from Dead Poet Society? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, 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 but if you're anything like me, it's like, okay, now I need a vacation from vacation so I can get ready for work, right? Um, I mean, our, our house is a disaster. We just came back yesterday with, you know, car load full of stuff and trailer full of stuff, and everything just feels a bit chaotic. Um, and so I know that if, if you're there as well, um, <laughs> I know that it was, it was a decision to be here tonight, so I appreciate that you are here. Um, and I'm going to claim something as a, as a good omen for this year, which is um, every year when I go to North Carolina for Christmas uh, to my parents' house, every year I get a sinus infection. It's just, my, it's just the universe's little Christmas gift to me. I just get one every year. And last year, that sinus infection uh, was COVID. And I didn't realize that, was, that I had COVID. But everyone, and then everyone in my extended family at a time when we really didn't need it all got COVID. And this year I got a sinus infection. But it's not COVID. It's just a sinus infection. So I'm claiming that as a victory. And, uh, and uh, I'm moving into this year. Is it, you know, I know there's others, you know, I'm naming it and claiming it. Is that what they say in other circles? Uh, I mean, that's not really how it works. But I'm going to do it because um, I'm excited that I don't have COVID yet. Uh, so um, anyways, we are, we are starting off the new year in, in, the, in, the, in the lectionary text. Uh, we have the prologue uh, in John's gospel. We have the first uh, 18 or so verses. We'll kind of move around a little bit in there for time's sake. But um, these are these are just kind of lofty and grandiose uh, verses to try and tackle while our heads are all still spinning, right? And, and I don't know about you, but uh, one, I'm really glad Woody was here to read that because I feel like these words warrant Woody's voice, right? In fact, I've always thought that the beginning of John's gospel should probably appear on screen like the beginning of a Star Wars movie with that music striking up in the great cosmos and the words slowly disappearing off into eternity, right? It just feels that big. It's a, it's, it's a lot. These verses uh, in the gospel of John are way, way too much to try and fit into one sermon, and so I'm not even going to try uh, to fit it all in there. We'll kind of camp out on one little idea tonight, but there's so much in here. We could spend a long time going through this verse by verse. Uh, John begins with, these, with the cosmos. He begins with philosophy and theology and poetry and all these things woven together. Uh, it's not a typical beginning of a gospel. There's no birth narrative. There's no talk of Mary. Uh, there's no uh, shepherds or angels or any of these kinds of things. No, it's big, grandiose uh, philosophical, uh, theological kind of terminology, right? It's as large a scope as one can imagine. In the beginning, right? Before everything, this, right? It's hard to get bigger than that. Um, and at first, it didn't feel like it'd be the most helpful of scriptures on this first Sunday of a new year. With Christmas season and all of us being as dizzied as we are by it, we've traveled, we've gotten out of routines, and we're trying to get reoriented uh, meanwhile, we have lots of new variants and other uncertainties going on, right? Uh, and I'm guessing, again, most of you are feeling a bit disoriented, and maybe you don't want to have these kind of grand conversations before you can get the kids back in school and get in a routine and at least feel normal again for a moment. But at its broadest level, as I was thinking through this this week, I think that John's prologue is trying to do maybe exactly what I need right now and maybe what you need as well, which John's, uh, John's language here 
really draws the camera angle back, right? Uh, we begin to see things from that 10,000 foot view to draw the camera back far enough that we can try to see how all the different pieces might fit together. And while these ideas are big and they are daunting and the language uh, is a little bit hard for us, understand that the language that John uses here, he uses for a purpose. This would have been familiar language uh, to those who first read it, right? Let's read through a few verses and then we'll we'll talk about that. It says this, again, it's the Gospel of John, first chapter, uh, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Greek there is logos. Word is translated as logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. For time's sake, let's skip down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the beginning was the Logos, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word, the Logos, was God. Now, that word logos in Greek um, would have been a very, I wouldn't say common term. For, for intellectuals of the day, for the philosophers and theologians of the day, that would have been a, a known word, right? And we've talked about this before, but in case you haven't heard us talk about it, it's important to note that John is borrowing kind of Greek language here. He is borrowing uh, from the language of the day. Because it could be, it would make more sense to me if I was writing this uh, to say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was God, and Jesus was with God. And why not just use Jesus' name here, right? But instead, of, he uses the philosophical language of the day. Uh, it's the language of Stoicism or the writings of Philo or some other folks uh, that I know all of you guys have read because it's, it's really fascinating and you spend all day doing it. Uh, but you'll find this concept in all those places. And, and here's the idea. What the Logos is, broadly speaking, it takes different forms, but the Logos is this concept or this logic that is out there kind of in the universe. It's this kind of transcendent idea or word that structures the world and structures everything in such a way that uh, if humans can just kind of get a hold of it, they can begin to make sense of it, right? It's this kind of knowledge that you seek to attain to. It's called the Logos. That's what the wording they would have used. And to use this phrase to begin the gospel uh, is using the concepts and language of the first readers. It sounds weird to us, but he's talking to a specific group of people. There is something out there, right? There's something more than us, something out there in the cosmos that decodes it all, that frames it all up, that makes sense of all this stuff that we have a hard time making sense of. It's hard to grasp. It transcends the messiness of our flesh and blood, dirty kind of world that is, you know, so messy. It transcends all of that. All the messiness of our small, everyday, fleshly existence, but it's there. And, you know, if you're smart enough and you work hard enough and you, are, uh, you know, are enlightened enough, maybe you can begin to access this logos that's out there in the universe someplace. This word, this special knowledge that we can hope to maybe one day attain or get a glimpse at, right? And those steeped in the philosophical traditions of the day would be nodding their heads as they're reading the beginning of John. 
in the beginning was Logos. Well, yes, there is. That, that's right. And, and, and Logos was with God, and Logos was God. Yes, yes, saying yes to all these things. And then you would reach verse 14, and this would be the record scratch moment for all those who read. Because up to this point, they may be saying yes, yes, yes to everything. And then you have the Word became flesh. And this is where they go, whoop, pump the brakes. Right? Because John starts with their framework and starts their language, but then he goes someplace they're not ready to go. Again, verse 14 through uh, 18 says, And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. In the beginning was the Word, was the Logos. Yes. Logos was God. Logos was with God. Yes. Yes. And the Logos became flesh and lived among us. No. No, right? The transcendent does not become flesh. The Word does not dwell among us. This would be unheard of in its original context, maybe even laughable. I mean, there may be a lot that I don't know about the transcendent, a lot I don't know about the organizer of all things, but the one thing I do know is that it isn't lowly and common flesh and blood. This is beneath that. I know that much. We know that it can be the Logos or it can be flesh, but it can't be both, right? This is a mixing of categories. It's a devaluation of the divine. And yet John, the writer of the Gospel of John, makes this exact claim. The Logos put on skin. The first mover of all of creation became flesh, or to translate the Greek literally here, tabernacled with us, pitched a tent with us. Again, this would be an absurd claim to the Greek world, to their dualistic way of thinking about the universe, right? There is the divine, and then there is the earthly. There is the spirit, and then there is the body. These are opposites in tension. They don't cross. They they are uh, competing against each other. And yet, here is the Gospel of John saying that they have become one and the same. It's an absurd claim for him to make to them. And I suppose it's still pretty crazy if you stop for a moment and think about the implications of what we call incarnation. Because incarnation should still astound us. It's a very questionable thing to believe. Consider the claims we're making. The God of all of creation, the God of all of creation became a baby. The one who set the stars light years away from us came close enough for us to change his diaper. The organizer of all the cosmos was someone's son, someone's brother, someone's neighbor, someone's hired hand or casual acquaintance. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, pitched a tent next to us. This is a staggering thing to believe. And I know we have gotten comfortable with it because we talk about it a lot, but it's a staggering thing to believe. And I, don't, I think if it doesn't give you pause at all, you probably aren't really thinking about it. 
We're talking about undoing the world uh, as we had always understood it to be. And I'm going to argue tonight uh, and talk for just a couple more minutes tonight that maybe we should begin our year by leaning into that absurdity. In fact, I would argue it's the featured reason we are here. This is kind of what gets me up in the morning and, and always keeps me engaged on some level, even when I'm not sure what I think or I'm having a good day or a bad day. This thing just sticks to me in a way that most things don't. The incarnation. It just doesn't seem to go away. And, and I know we've built a lot around it, right? Churches are planted and eventually they go away. All of us come from dust and to dust we will return. Nations rise and nations fall. But this idea just doesn't seem to go away. The idea that an empathetic and vulnerable creator of the universe became incarnate and dwelt among us. That remains. And our bold claim is that in our limited, tiny lives on this one little planet, we have been given the most perfect of gifts. A squirming baby hiding the fullness of grace and truth and God within it. That is an audacious thing to say. An incarnation that tells us very clearly that we cannot know more about the Logos, about the biggest questions. We cannot know more about God than we know about this child. And we will never get a more clear look at what is true and what is good than him. There is no transcendent truth apart from this little incarnation. It is the fullness. That in a very real and tangible way, God was and always will be with us. And so all of this matters. It matters to the Logos who became flesh, and it should matter to us. Incarnation is a crazy thing to believe, but I think maybe, it's, maybe we should take a moment and lean into it once again. Let's lean into this incarnation. Let's pull on that thread and follow it where it leads this year. Because the miracle of God, this incarnation, which is a miracle of God, is also the mission of mankind. As human beings made in God's image, you are called to incarnation. As, as, as human beings made in God, God's image, whether you know it or not, right now you're engaged in incarnation. You, just by sitting where you are right now, are making reality from some abstraction. You're bringing some kind of word to flesh. As you sit in here tonight, as you sing the songs, as you catch up with each other, and as you support each other in your prayers, and in what's going on with your lives this week, as you prepare for the year ahead, as you make your calls, as you're tucking your kids, as you pray your prayers and commit to whatever new promises you've made that will make your life so drastically different this year than it's ever been, in all those ways, you are making flesh out of what would otherwise just be words. You are an incarnation machine, for better or worse. You are putting flesh to abstractions all day, every day. Good, bad, ugly, and otherwise. We are incarnation machines. We give hands and feet and words to love and fear and anger and grace and everything in between, every minute, every day. That's what we're made to do. 
And we always will be. We'll always be incarnation machines because we all know that words aren't much in and of themselves. They're just not enough, right? We have to incarnate. Shoot, we just not too long ago spent almost a full year with nothing but emails and text messages and virtual church and quote-unquote social media. And we all became keenly aware, if we didn't know before, that words just aren't enough. Spent a lot of time in isolation and quarantine and at a distance, and you know the implications of incarnation. We need words to be made flesh. We know that we can't be fully human and allow words to just stay words. Words aren't enough. As we said last, uh, last time we gathered a couple weeks ago, uh, as we talked about Mary's song and Mary's Magnificat, flesh and blood needs flesh and blood, right? And as we all know, words never just stay words with us. We are incarnation machines. Words always pitch their tent among us and camp out, right? Eventually, love letters become actual romance or heartbreak, depending on how they go. Eventually, grace and hospitality become actual well-being for our neighbors, Good, bad, and otherwise, words become flesh. Eventually, conspiracy theories become actual insurrections. We learned that last year. I never thought that would happen. Because we are incarnation machines. Words never stay just words. Like our creator, we full-time put flesh to words, whether we like it or not, or want to think about it or not. It's who we are. It's what we're made to do. So the question remaining for us tonight as we learn, lean into this new year is what words will we incarnate? What words will we bring flesh to this year? May this be another year when we lean boldly into the calling of incarnation to embody God's grace and truth in this world. May we refuse to pretend that it is even possible to live abstractly. May we live as though we actually believe in the God of the manger, the God of the servant's towel, and the God of the cross and resurrection. To live incarnate lives of God's vulnerable love in a world that needs to see it with their own eyes. Let's be incarnation machines in all the best ways. To confess with our words and our flesh the laughably bold claim that God is with us. And to ask ourselves, what words will we give flesh to in this limited life we have been graciously given? Let's pray. God, we are grateful and thoroughly confused by a God who becomes flesh. to really ponder what would cause you to take this route to uh, embody love in this way is hard for us to wrap our minds around. And Lord, as absurd as the idea of incarnation may be, may we see it for the good news that it is. Thank you that you are a God who is with us. Thank you that you are a God who is not um, okay with the distance. That you are not a God who just gave us some words to believe, but you are a God who gave us flesh and blood to love. 
And this year, Lord, however dark or light it might feel, however good or bad it might go, may we be incarnations of your love in this place because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters and it's all that lasts. God, thank you for entrusting us with your word. May we put hands and feet and words and love to it in this world. We do love you, and we ask all things in your name. Amen.